not always about a bad boss. You know, I do disagree with that statement because sometimes it is the job itself is not exciting, you know, and maybe the role that you're doing is not the perfect role for you. Maybe that's a role that you are in for the time being, maybe because you're in college, you're between jobs and you still have a way, a need to make your paycheck, as I said, and that's all you can do. And Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. This week, we have a guest on our show who knows a lot about employee engagement. He is CEO of one of the uh, big companies in our space called Engagely. Uh, I've been fortunate to be one of the top 100 HR influencers on his site for the past couple of years. And we want to cover a topic for our While We Were Working segment, all about quiet quitting. And we've got this Sherm article entitled Viewpoints. Quiet quitting is about bad bosses, not bad employees. So to help us tackle this uh, topic for someone who has seen it at the very top and has been an employee along the way, we have Sri Chalabra from Engagely. Sri, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Joey. Thanks, Summer, for, uh, for having me on your show. I'd love to uh, add my... Two cents to something that's been going on for years and now has a new name. <laughs> right? Right? So, so, Summer, let's go ahead and kick off the conversation here. Could you define quiet quitting for us? And then maybe, Shri, give some more historical context about what you think about this topic. And uh, it sounds like you agree that it's been around for a while. Um, so, Summer, what is, what is quiet quitting? Thanks, Joey, and welcome, Shri. Quiet quitting, it's, it's really been a popular topic on TikTok lately. There's been a ton of videos where you have seen employees uh, maybe sharing an email or an assignment that they got from their boss, and they've you know, shared some commentary about how they aren't going to do work uh, after their standard work hours or on the weekend. And in short, Quite quitting, it's, it's many things, but it truly is doing the absolute bare minimum required. And in many regards, it's mentally checking out. And so, you know, as you indicated, it's really not anything new. It just has this new term. And in uh, the SHRM article, there's a lot of interesting information uh, that came out of their studies. Uh, but Shri, why don't you talk a little bit about quiet quitting and um, what this has looked like in the past before having this uh, new catchy name? It's just a new name for, for behaviors that have had uh, in the past as well. So the quiet quitting is basically disengagement or low levels of engagement. And what we define as high levels of engagement is when an employee is totally emotionally invested in the success of the team and the organization and they are providing discretionary efforts to move the ball forward for the organization right the quiet quitting is the opposite of that um, so that's 
to me, that's just a new trend and everybody jumps on it. And, uh, and that's what we are seeing here today as well. But I think the reason quiet quitting is, is, I mean, it's not necessarily always a bad thing, you know, because sometimes you are in a role where you're just not passionate about your, your you just don't feel it. And you're like, I, I still got to make, uh, you know, make my, my, uh, my paycheck and pay the bills. So I get, I'm just going to do the job to the extent it, it, it fulfills the bare minimum, as you said, for the role. And for most organizations or many organizations, for some roles, maybe that's all you need. You know, if you're, if you're a checkout clerk, maybe at a retail store, maybe that's all you need to do because that's not a passionate job. But some people are really excited about having that interaction with the customer and they go above and beyond and helping the customer and whatnot. So one thing I will say, however, about quiet kidding is that it's not always about a bad boss. You know, I do disagree with that statement because sometimes it is the job itself it's not exciting you know and maybe the role that you're doing is not the perfect role for you maybe that's a role that you are in for the time being maybe because you're in college or you're you're between jobs and you still have a way a need to make your paycheck as i said um and that's all you can do and i i don't necessarily think you can blame the boss or the organization for that however in many cases you can become a quiet quitter after being engaged when you get a bad boss or you get an organization where the culture is completely changed. Maybe because the company got acquired or maybe you got a new leadership that doesn't care about its people. So it can, it can swing either way. Um, so I, I think it has to be taken in context on what might have caused that. Maybe it's the individual, maybe the individual in that role, maybe it's the organization's uh, change that has caused that. So, so there are a lot of nuances to that to, before we make a judgment that it is always the boss or it's always the employee yeah um there, there's nothing new under the sun and shri you mentioned that this is it used to be just a disengaged or low, lower engaged worker i wonder if there's a world where um person who is is torn between you know i have this dream job uh that's a few rungs higher on the corporate ladder and they're just not in that role yet and so maybe they're they're quote unquote quiet quitting or they're disengaged because they know that that's not their their ultimate goal. Um, what would you say to uh, an early stage professional or a person transitioning who might say, "Okay, I'm gonna quiet, I'm gonna quiet quit or be just enough engaged because I'm not at that ultimate place that I want to be." What advice would you would you share? Bad idea. Don't do it. That's my advice, right? <laughs> because at the end of the day, organizations, for the most part, like to promote the people they believe are uh, exceptional performers and are going above and beyond their role because they see that this person has potential, they're in level A, but they're really showing potential for level B because they're showing those behaviors, they're showing the results, their actions display that. So then they want to promote them to position B. If you are in position A and you're performing at, you know, A minus or whatever the level is below that, uh, you're not going to get ahead for the most part. I, I, I don't, I mean, you might, but that's not the recipe for getting ahead for sure. Uh, when I was at Ernst & Young uh, several years ago as an employee, you know, one of the things that, you know, I used to also want to be a partner or one of those higher level roles. And the, I joined as a senior consultant, and the next role up was as a manager. 
And I said, I want to be a manager in two years. That was the basic rule that you had to be a senior consultant roughly for two years before you became a manager. It was not a written rule. It was like an unwritten rule. And they told me, like, show us that you're performing at the manager level or near that level. Then there's no doubt that you are ready to be a manager. And it's a competitive environment. Big five, big four is typically a very competitive environment. You know, uh, I mean, it's a friendly competition. It's not like we hate each other, you know, uh, but it keeps us all very uh, actively engaged because we all want to do well and we all want to get promoted um, or many of us wanted to get promoted. And so we actively, I actively sought roles that pushed me beyond my comfort zone of my role. I, I sought leadership roles, team lead roles. Even if it is a not a, quote unquote not a team lead role, but I was maybe facilitating different people without actually leading them directly, those things attributed uh, the characteristics that they are looking for in a manager. So if I had quite quit at that point, I would have never progressed beyond senior consultant, uh, and not at not at Ernst Young for sure. Um, and then uh, you know we have similar situation in our company or other companies I see where. Now, they want to see, organizations want to see uh, more engagement. Um, and then obviously, the one thing to remember here is that the employee has to believe that that will lead them to success, right? If the organizational culture or their leadership says one thing and does something else, then you know that could cause somebody to quite quit and maybe never get to the next level. Uh, but as a general rule, that's not a recipe for growth. So you would tell that that uh, Gen Z TikToker who's making these quiet quitting videos, hey, not so fast. You may be getting clout and views and likes, but you're not ultimately going to get that job that you're looking for uh, if you're just kind of mailing it in. Um, Summer, uh, as as one of the managers here on our team, and you speak, you you have an influence on a lot of our client organizations. What should you say are some of the signs of an employee that is checked out? So if you're talking to uh, one of our clients, for example, and they're saying, hey, we think quiet quitting has overcome us. Um, what are the signs and symptoms of that? Oh, man, I feel like there's so many. But I, I think the first signs are that there's a change in an employee's attitude or work product. I mean, if you have had a team member who was performing at a different level um, and you've seen a shift in their work product, work quality, or even just their attitude for me, that's the first aha, something's up. And I think, you know, the only way that you're truly going to find out if an employee has checked out is starting to have some honest conversations with them. And hopefully, uh, as a manager, if you've been uh, performing well, then you've built at least a basic level of trust with your team members to be able to have those conversations. And kind of circling back to some of the discussion that we were having just kind of prior to this point, I think if you're an employee and you are um, adopting this quiet quitting attitude, I think it's really um, important to be self-reflective and understand that not only are you potentially hindering your ability to seek out and obtain a job that's going to make you happier and potentially more aligned with your goals, but you're also affecting your team. So it's really not just about hey, I'm quiet quitting and, and this is um, this is what I'm choosing to do, but recognizing that it's you know, kind of affecting others as well. 
but Shri, I'm curious to know what signs um, you you see sometimes when an employee might be quiet quitting and what should employers do about it? Yeah, I, I think I really liked what you said, Summer, about the 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 difference in behavior, right? Because some people are just not very vocal in meetings. But if you see an individual who was very vocal in meetings, was actively participating, raising their hand when some new initiative came up, and suddenly there's no hand being raised by the person, they're not being vocal, they're joining the minute a meeting late, or basically trying to do as little work as possible that comes out of the action items from the meeting, for example. But that's the behavior they didn't have beforehand. That's clearly evidence that something is going on. It could be quite quitting, maybe they're having some life issues, could be, or maybe there is a problem in the team, could be any of it. So I would say some of those, uh, some of those uh, behavior changes are uh, clearly a red flag to pay attention to. What would you say, what do you think employers should do about it if they see that this is happening or maybe there's rumors floating around the company that there are certain teams or individuals who are quiet quitting? You know, uh, a manager should be able to tell, a good manager should be able to tell that happening before the rumor gets started, to be honest. You know, they're, because they're paying attention to these behavioral changes uh, in the team or in the individuals. But when they start seeing that, uh, they should have a very honest conversation with that employee. As a startup, for example, we are still consider ourselves as a startup, uh, even though we are seven years uh, in existence. Uh, we can't really afford that as a, you know, we have to make sure that everybody for the most part is actively engaged and contributing. So I will have a discussion and say, okay, what's going on? Are you, are you feeling you're not in the right role or are you feeling you're not being recognized or are you feeling you're not being challenged enough or is there some other uh, issues that are going on so that we can have an active discussion? Uh, sometimes maybe there's some life issues, you know, maybe they're having something going on with their health, their family, whatever that is. And sometimes it is because they feel like they're not making enough progress. They've been doing the same thing for two years and they just feel like they've become stagnant and the work is just boring at this point. Uh, or maybe because they feel like the other person in the organization is getting more recognition and they're not when they're doing the work but somebody else is taking all the glory. So it could be any of those issues, right? And I think the manager has to have an open mind, provide enough psychological safety in their teams to have that discussion where the employee can open up and have that uh, discussion. Uh, one of the things I, I actively promote is that as a manager, you should not be a talent hoard because what might happen is that person may be ready to move to a different role in a different team. You know, somebody who might be in support may be now ready for a customer success role or may be ready for an account management role or some other role. And maybe that's what you need to do as the manager and the best interest of the individual and the organization. Otherwise, you're going to get a, either a quiet quit or a total quit, you know. And neither, neither, of, neither of which is beneficial to you or the organization. Well, Sri, I have to ask you, you know, you're wearing your, your team shirt, Engagely. We're talking about a topic around employee engagement, employee experience. Uh, the tools that you're building at Engagely, how can they help combat quiet quitting and how can they make someone a better manager um, to have these discussions around engagement? Well, there are several tools uh, in Engagely that help with that, and there are a lot of companies who do that too. So, uh, but one of the things that we actively promote is a continuous discussion and continuous conversations and performance uh, discussions as well. So, you know, tools like a weekly check-in with your manager, 
uh, setting clear goals and objectives using OKRs or other type of goal setting tools. Uh, you know, even having a good 360 is a great tool because you get feedback from everybody else. You can anonymize those responses, use that to get some feedback from everybody else, not just your direct team, maybe even a team that is at two degrees of separation uh, or even from a client. Those are good feedback tools that you can get as a manager or as a coach to then understand where there might be gaps in perception versus reality, where there might be gaps in engagement, gaps in skills, gaps in competencies, gaps in behavior, so that then you can actively identify areas for improvement and coaching. Awesome, awesome. And um, where can people where can people go to learn more about Engagely? Uh, Engagely.com. Uh, E-N-G-A-G-E-D-L-Y, Engagely.com. Uh, they can also reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Shri, Shri Chalapa or Shrikant Chalapa. I'm the president co-founder of Engagely. Awesome. We'll, we'll drop those links in the show notes uh, so folks can connect with you and, and Engagely. And Shri, it's been awesome having you on. Summer, there's one thing that you were talking about before um, we, we kick this off. And there's there's one word uh, that, that uh, has a lot to do with this quiet quitting, and that's trust. Can you unpack the relationship trust has with um, those who quiet quit, those who don't, those who are engaged, those who don't. Uh, yes. And, and to kind of put a bow on it, kind of bringing it back to uh, the Sherm viewpoint article that, you know, really bubbled this up to become our topic of discussion today was, you know, Sherm's viewpoint was that quiet quitting uh, was really about bad bosses and not uh, bad employees. And, and that is, Based on the work that they've done, um, the studies that said that um, quiet quitting um, and an employee's willingness to work harder is actually more about a manager's ability to build relationships where their employees, where they're not counting the minutes until quitting time. So at the end of the day, um, it's really about managers building that strong level of trust. And I think that when we say, you know, quiet quitting and what's happening is nothing new, I'd also say the same about managers building trust. Um, there's nothing new that that's uh, a big part of uh, the recipe to success. All right, Shri, I want to give you last words on that one. Uh, you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts as we bring this segment to a close? I agree overall. You know, in most cases, it's probably the manager, but I, I also think, you know, people have... Uh, life issues and other challenges that they're going through in, in the role that could cause to that behavior. And it's not, I don't think it's fair to always blame the manager. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's, that's the importance of what we do as uh, HR pros is to help navigate that gray area or those undefined areas of why someone might be quiet quitting and helping managers uh, figure out the best path forward for the good of the employee and the good of the organization um, and have those conversations. And your tool, Shri, helps people have those performance conversations in a healthy way too. So I'm, I'm glad that we got to have this, uh, this chat. I'm sure we could have gone an hour on quiet quitting, but, you know, there's so much out there. At the end of the day, you know, it's all about... The, the trust piece and getting to know your team and um, making sure that you, you understand why people might be disengaged and what to do around it. So 
This has been our segment while we were working. Uh, thanks again to the team over at Sherm and uh, Jack Zinger and Joseph Folkman for this uh, article that we covered today. And Shree, thanks for being on, on the show. All right, so now we're going to jump into our segment called Consultants Corner. And this is where we share the good, bad, and ugly uh, from our life in the HR trenches. Um, this week, we've got a topic on HR audits. So, Summer, you want to kick it off? Sure, Will. Thanks, Joey. And I know that just the word audit oftentimes uh, brings, I don't know, eye rolls, uh, maybe a little cringe, or everybody getting ready to dash out of the room because nobody wants to be part of an audit. But when it comes to HR, internal audits are actually not a bad thing. So I wanted to talk just first before we dive in on this. Um, the difference between an internal audit and external audit. So external audit is um, not always bad, uh, but it's where you would have an external entity come on in and actually go through the checklist of items that are being reviewed. Now, sometimes those can be bad, right, Joey? Because it means that maybe the company's done something that has alerted an agency and now they want to come on in and take a look. But an internal audit is actually a great thing, and it's where a company has decided to be proactive and tackle one or more areas to ensure that they have everything they need so that in the event of an external audit, they're going to pass with flying colors. That's right. And there are um, different groups that might want audits at different stages of their organization. So you might be preparing to be uh, acquired or preparing to sell. And when it comes to uh, valuing your business, part of it is making sure your books are in order. And the cleaner your HR affairs, the less risk there is that a buyer would be taking on. Um, you might be, another time that you might be looking to do an internal audit is if you're anticipating rapid growth and you say, hey, I am not sure that the systems and processes that we're doing today are going to work well for us as we cross that threshold of adding 10 employees, 20 employees, 50 more employees to the team. So you want to have a team come in and take a look at how you're operating now so that you have peace of mind as you scale and grow later on down the road. Another group that may want to have some audits done uh, is anyone who does business with uh, state or federal government. Um, because as you know, at any time, you sign these contracts that say uh, you're giving these agencies the right to go in and, and audit your books. And so you want to make sure that you're doing good housekeeping with uh, the ways that you're tracking some of the things that will go into. So these are just some of the reasons you might want an audit. Um, shoot, you might want an audit because you have an HR pro who was working for your organization, but they've left and you're not quite sure that they were doing a great job uh, by protecting your business. And so you might want to have us come in, take a look. So let's go into the 10 areas that you might want an HR audit. Yes, there are so many. And I feel like we could do episodes and episodes on different audits that a small business may want to do. But we compiled a short list of the top 10 audits that we uh, work with small businesses on um, 
to uh, audit within their team. So I'm just going to run down them. And maybe, Joey, if you want to just chime in and chat briefly about um, a little bit maybe of what each one entails, uh, then we'll go ahead and, and wrap our show with that today. But number one, auditing I-9s. What do you have to say about that one? This is the biggest one. Um, maybe not the biggest because anything with payroll is, is a big audit too. But so I... Uh, know and have experienced that people will uh, give you false documents. They will uh, complete the document, but maybe they'll write their sixes like a nine. And so the social security numbers are off or uh, you're trying to read someone's handwriting because you have to take manual data and then put it into electronic system. Um, you also, a lot of times people that are filling out I-9s, have no idea how to do it. And so they get in this rhythm of telling people, hey, I need your driver's license and your social security card. And uh, it's, it's illegal to, first of all, tell people which documents to provide, but also you do yourself a disservice if you have a finite view of how to, how to get them done because um, you may be doing it wrong. Um, another thing that comes up is, uh, completing them too late. Uh, so you're supposed to complete them within the first three days of, em of employment. And so checking the dates of when they've been completed versus someone's hiring is something that you want to pay attention to. So it's, it's important. Um, I-9s are governed by Department of Homeland Security, which as we know over the past 20 or so years has had more and more of a presence in our, um, and the way that we just do things in general um, in, in, in life, whether it's from airplane safety to, to uh, work. And so uh, whether it's an intern or an, an employee um, or a foreign national, um, a student, any worker who's getting paid uh, needs to complete an I-9. Um, so it's a, it's a big deal. Yes, and I'm glad that you took some time to dive into it because that's number one on the list for a reason. And so I'm going to cover just a couple more and just kind of speed us along so that we can get to all 10 of them before we wrap our show. But number two is a dependent audit. And I'll tackle this one really quick because I've done a ton of dependent audits. And this is for companies that sponsor health plans that allow dependents on their plans. And a dependent audit is exactly what it sounds like. It means requesting appropriate documentation to verify that the dependent that's on your plan is actually qualified for your plan eligibility to, to be on it. So if you are an employer that makes a contribution towards a dependent, you want to make sure that you're only paying for those that should actually the next one is employee files. So Joey, you know, there's so many different ways to maintain employee files, whether they're paper, which makes a print, or if they are electronic, um, but there's a method to the madness. So do you want to talk really quickly about just the importance of auditing employee files? Yeah, um, it's important to audit the employee files because you need to know how long to keep a document, when you can legally shred it, you need to know the best practices for what goes in an employee file and what's separate outside of that. 
uh, hint, hint, all your I-9s together and your employee files in, in a separate location. And you want to make sure that you are paying attention to uh, sorting out those who are active, inactive, so on and so forth. Um, I also cringe uh, at paper files, but it's still a reality. So um, probably 50% of the people listening to this probably have paper files at their mm-hmm. at their office. So all the more reason to want to make sure that they're right, all the more reason to make sure that you have all of the necessary documents. And that's all I'll say about that. I know we want we want to march through, but I, like you said, I could go on and on about these. Yeah, well, there's definitely more to dive into, but I also wanted to mention number four, which is a workers' compensation audit. This comes up pretty frequently, especially with employers that have gone remote and or are hiring individuals in new work states. And so um, if you've hired employees in new work states, every time you do, it's important to notify your workers' compensation provider to ensure that you have a policy in place that will cover the employees. Because that state will hunt you down and you'll have to pay a nice little fine for not completing it on time. Yep, makes me think about Joey. A couple times a year, we seem to get emails from panicked employers who receive what I call a nasty gram from the state where the state has said, hey, (laughs) you have an employee in our state, but we don't show that you have workers' comp coverage. So um, definitely important to do an audit of that frequently. But I also wanted to chat about employee benefit deductions. Now, I don't know if you want to tackle this one, Joey, or if you prefer that I do, but um, reconciling payroll deductions to benefit bills always seems to be neglected, and I'm not sure why. Uh, But I put it on my top 10 list for, uh, for audits. What do you think? Yeah, I'll be brief here. Um, but with the employee benefit deductions, you want to make sure that your employees are being paid accurately, and um, the systems are used are separate. Uh, there's, you know, their paycheck and what they see on their paycheck, but then there are the documents that go out or the cash that goes out to the agencies themselves, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that a those numbers match, and b that they're correct. So, for example, if someone said, okay, this year for my 401k, I do want to elect the full amount. Well, if they've submitted that on paper and you're paying that to the to the agency, but you haven't um, set up the payroll to deduct that new amount, then there's going to be a mismatch. And it's a tough time um, trying to reconcile that because it, it's tough to reconcile markets that fluctuate up and down. And so it's not just, oh, we're going to calculate that 3%. Well, what is the opportunity loss of that 3%, right? So um, making sure that the the systems have the same information is a big thing that you want to audit. Absolutely. And number six on our list, we've talked about it quite a bit in prior episodes, but just um, couldn't miss adding it on here. Just doing an audit of your 1099 contractors And I'll kind of lump this with another item that's on our list, which is um, FLSA classification. So we're talking about classification of your exempt workers. And so um, just really ensuring that you're taking a look at this regularly, that uh, folks that may have qualified for these classifications in the past are actually still performing work in a manner and with some uh, different changes that may make them now ineligible. So just taking another look at those, um, that's number six of actually number 10 on our list. But really quick, we also have imputed income. I swear 
that this is one that always catches small employers by surprise. Um, and imputed income is when your company provides uh, company paid life insurance that is over $50,000 for your employees. So if you're a company doing that and you're not aware that the value over 50,000 is actually taxable to the employee, then you're going to want to talk to us about how to make sure that your employee has that imputed um, on their paycheck. So uh, number eight, nine, I'll let you take Joey, or maybe we can share um, number eight is employee handbooks and policies. So what are your thoughts on performing an audit of those items? Well, with the handbook and policies, you need to be uh, taking a, a scan of the legal landscape every six months uh, and likely updating your handbook once or uh, once a year or once every two years to reflect any federal, state, or local changes that have um, impacted your business. That's also going to pour out into any potential payroll changes or pay time off changes that need to be uh, recalculated. Um, but you want to have your head on a swivel when it comes to your policies, because believe it or not, um, as management of an organization, you're not the only one that sets the rules for your business. Government does too. And so you want to make sure that you're listening to what government has to say about uh, doing work in your business, especially if your team is uh, remote and you have people in different locations. Absolutely, that's such a great point. And the last one that I'll share to round us out is pay time off reconciliation. And this is where you really want to be taking a look at the accrued balances, the caps and the usage, kind of going back to the handbook and policies, making sure that they match what's in there but also that your systems are keeping track of this properly. Um, some states like California, if you don't get it right, then it can become a problem if that employee leaves your organization. Now, I know we ran a little over today. And for those of you that stuck around for our extended show, we actually have a treat for you. If you are interested in um, the list of the top 10 audits at every HR department, should do, we actually have a link for you uh, for uh, a free digital download, um, the top 10 items that we discussed today and a little bit about what they are. Awesome, we, we, we love giving out the gems to help create great workplaces. And uh, we do that through the downloads, but also through the episodes of our show. So if you haven't been a listener or viewer for a long time, make sure you catch up on our other episodes in the past. And go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get this show. So we will see you all next week. Thanks again for tuning in. And uh, Shri, thanks for being on the show earlier for While We Were Working. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Got more questions? Then make sure you check out whilewewereworking.com for more tips and resources or shoot us a message on social media. See you next week.